On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking LRT. And why would we be talking LRT? It hasn't been in the news at all. Well, that's kind of it. There is a story that was on a trade magazine pointing out that pre-construction of the LRT is beginning. And why then does that matter? Because we don't still know what the LRT is going to cost. So we're beginning to work on this with still no idea of whether this is going to fall into the billion dollar range that the government has said we will get or where the rest of the money would come from if it goes above that. And what happens if it goes above that? Well, stick around and listen because you're going to hear at least one city councillor give you his estimation of what that means. Uh, We're going to talk about an aviary. There is a proposal to... Well, a suggestion, perhaps, to build a new aviary at Gage Park with a generous million-dollar donation from an anonymous citizen. But should we be spending, say, $4.5 million of taxpayers' money on what is really a big birdhouse? Lovely, but is it necessary? Well, we'll talk about that. And the NFL has told CFL players, yeah, you know what? Unlike past years, we're not giving you tryouts. What's that going to do to American players? Are they going to still want to come up to the CFL and play if they don't think they can make their way back to the States? All that coming up. Take a listen. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. The last municipal election, over a year ago now, uh, as you will recall, was won by Fred Eisenberger, for mayor anyway. And many people, most people perhaps, many people anyway, saw that as a referendum on the LRT. We can disagree, we can agree, but as I say, enough people, I think, saw that as a referendum on the LRT that we're not going to litigate or relitigate that discussion all over again here on the show tonight. However, came across this story in something called the Daily Commercial News. It's a tra- an online trade publication for the construction industry. And there's a story here from a few days ago, pre-construction work gets underway for Hamilton LRT. There's now construction going on out by Queenston, uh, digging to move or relocate a bit of an oil pipe to make room for the tracks eventually that will be there. Point is, this is now happening. It is real. Money is being, we know money has been spent, but now there's digging happening and stuff like that. There's just one issue with this whole thing that still hangs out over the LRT scenario in this city, we still have no idea how much this thing is going to cost. The province has pledged a billion dollars. The city has said very clearly it doesn't want to spend a dime more than that. At least most of the councillors, to my recollection, have said that. But we have no idea how much this is going to cost. So what if when the bids start coming in, I think it's next spring we're expecting them, what if they show up and it's $1.2 billion or $1.4 billion or $1.6 billion? What, what, what do we do at that point? Well, let me bring in Councillor Terry Whitehead, Ward 14. Oh, wrong button. We're going to try and get him again because I just, uh, in my almost spilling a coffee onto my lap while pressing the button, I think I hit the wrong one. I'll move the coffee here so I don't uh, have that old lady at McDonald's situation and give first degree burns to my tender areas while we try and get Terry Whitehead back. But the question becomes, and we're going to, we're going to explore this, is what do we do if... When the bids come back to build LRT, now that significant money is being spent, what do we do if the bids come in much higher than we were expecting? Councillor Terry Wayhead joins us now. Sorry about that, Terry. Hit the wrong button. Scott and your listeners. 
Especially so, on this topic. It's one of my favorites. Well, I, I, I know it is. And, and just for the record, I did reach out to some other counselors as well, to uh, those who are who have been typically more supportive of LRT. Most of them were tied up tonight, could not do it, didn't get in touch with everyone. But here's the thing. Um, we know that at this point, something like it was, I think it was 130, 140 million had been spent already. We're now doing this digging. We may be up to $200 million spent so far on the LRT. Uh, Have we now officially, Terry, reached the point of no return where no matter what the costs come back as telling us it's going to be, we can't stop? Well, uh, two things. One is is a good chunk of that money was uh, in in land purchase. And of course, you never lose value. In fact, you even gain value on land purchases over time. So uh, a significant portion of those, those, those dollars you identified is, in fact, that. Any ongoing uh, projects by Metrolinx is going ahead in advance of um, the uh, the uh, procurement coming back, and us having the numbers uh, is highly, highly. I'm highly concerned about that because if, in fact, that report comes back and says we can't do it for less than 1.4 million dollars, now you know then you got to go through the whole scooping exercise and so on. But my, the point is uh, that there definitely would be an offering. For uh, councillors are concerned about uh, the significant expansion and just coming back and looking for another four hundred million dollars. So I think it is premature, and I would think that Metrolinx, if they're going on and continue spending these dollars and in, in, in advance of us having uh, understand what the operating costs are, don't forget we don't even have those numbers yet. Uh, never mind the capital. So well, let's go to the capital for so. let's go to the capital for just a minute because most of the people that I hear from. And, this, and granted, these are people just chatting in town. Not not all of them are official people, but there are few people that I come across who believe that this project can now be done for a billion dollars because time has passed and we know things become more expensive as time goes on. So what what does happen? What is the answer if this does come back a couple hundred million dollars more than what we're anticipating? Uh, well, the one option is they would scope the project. So right now it's planned to go to Queenston. So uh, they scope the project to meet the budget, meaning they shorten the trip. But I've heard a number of councillors, including I believe you on this show, have said before that if that was the case, that the only reason this thing got a second life was because it was promised to go all the way to Queenston. And if it would be shortened, people would vote no for that. Well, I know that all too well because I'm the one that was in supporting the, uh, the, the LRT system for many reasons. But having said that, I couldn't, uh, in the life of me, uh, support a plan that put taxpayers at greater risk. And the one they had on the table at that time, I believe when we went to Queenston Circle, but recall, uh, no north-south uh, connectivity. So that would have been a greater risk to the taxpayers. So I ended up uh, pushing and leveraging it going out to Queenstown with the support of my council colleagues. Uh, but having said that, that wasn't an indication of my support of LRT. It was just uh, making something better than uh, as far as the impact on taxpayers versus what was on the table. But yeah, I agree with you. I I would be completely uh, uh, off if this is uh, shortened. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are talking about the LRT. Yes, it's back. And the reason it's back is because construction, pre-construction, they're calling it, has begun down by Queenston Traffic Circle. Uh, doing some underground work to move an oil line or something so that the tracks will eventually go there. But the question becomes, with this work being done, and again, not relitigating this because this is a decision I think most people would argue that in the last election when Fred, Fred Eisenberger beat Vito Scro and that was the central focus of the election, that this has been decided, but the question still exists. We don't have a cost for this. 
as Councillor Terry Whitehead has said, and he still joins us, uh, for operating it or for the capital, we don't have a cost for this yet. So we're now spending more and more and more money without knowing what this is going to cost. And what happens if it comes back significantly over the billion dollars. Uh, by the way, I said beforehand, Terry, that I've he- been hearing from people who don't think it can be done for a billion. Do you believe that this, what we're planning, do you believe this can be done for a billion dollars? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, I, I think we're going to have a shortfall. The question is, what is, is the shortfall? I can tell you. I just came from a meeting uh, with the member councils and the mayor. Uh, our, our, our collective budget for this year and next year are going to probably be the two toughest since I first got elected, and we're talking tough in regards to the impacts on our taxpayers and the community. Very, very tough decisions going to have to be made. So in, in, as as a backdrop, clearly there's going to be a lot of council very sensitive to any further impacts that any new projects or current projects on the books uh, may uh, create that we're, we're not anticipated. And LRT is not an exception to, exception to that rule. Do you believe that the province could be massaged to give more than the billion dollars that they've vowed at this point? Well, I think there's been a lot of conversations uh, with the mayor openly uh, with uh, the federal government. Whether or not they would consider, uh, if there is a shortfall, to offset that shortfall. I'm not clear at this point, and I'm not aware of any commitments the federal government's made to Hamilton, but I know those conversations took place pre-federal uh, election. And, uh, and I'm sure that there's still some discussions going on. And, you know, the fact that those conversations are taking place uh, would strongly suggest there is concern about uh, the capital being well over the uh, stated uh, budget. Okay, so, and again, we're not talking about operating costs right now, but I was doing a little bit of math, and forgive me because my math is always terrible, but uh, I did it a couple times to check this. If it ran over by $200 million, the cost of this, and I'm just coming up with a round number, $200 million would mean a, a, a tax levy of about fifteen or $1,600 per family of four in this city. Is that an extraordinary amount, or is yeah, this... Or is just this... to clear, that's capital, so we, right. you, you'd have to borrow that capital. And, and so it's the cost of the borrowing, and the annualized cost over whatever, whatever it is, 20 uh, of the terms, right? Just like borrowing, 20 years, 10 years, 30 years, whatever it is. So say it's over 30 years, period, $200 million. Uh, and you borrow that, you know, that, that could be uh, uh, an additional seven, eight million, uh, or five million a year on your on your capital. So I just want to clarify that. All right. So, because uh, again, I'm I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, you know, I mean, sixteen hundred bucks is not nothing for sure. Is it the kind of money that would cause councillors to freak out because of how much it's going to attach to every person's tax bill if that was the case, or oh, do you I, look I, and I say, right now, if the two million dollars has to come? From uh, the back on the back of the city taxpayers, uh, there's going to be uh, there's going to be an awakening uh, around that horseshoe, uh, and that's pretty clear to me. I mean, going into the election, even though it's supported or held their nose to support it, I know for a fact that if these numbers uh, mean that you, we have to try and uh, uh, absorb those costs, underlying, uh, and I just going to tell you how tough the next uh, two years are going to be in the context of. Uh, taxes and, and budgets. So, uh, there, I am, you know, if I was a betting man, I would bet that there's no way that this council would uh, support uh, taking $200 million uh, additional cost on it. We, we just don't have the capacity. And that means that you would have to bump a lot of other projects too, by the way. But that would suggest, so, and this is the reason I started talking about this today, because now we've got this pre construction starting. That means money is being spent that could be flushed down the toilet, basically. 
Yeah, so I, mean, I, I haven't seen the, the, the start dates and, uh, and all that for this construction. Um, so it's not clear to me if, if uh, there's a financial commitment prior to us having this information. If there is, uh, then the question really becomes, uh, does that fall uh, to the cost of the city? Uh, or does that fall on the backs of Metrolink if the decision is made that uh, based on the, uh, the numbers coming in from the procurement, uh, that it, it, it's unaffordable. If the federal government doesn't come in and bail them out, uh, then there's no LRT in Hamilton that will take those dollars and, uh, and put it to uh, or so many other areas we can focus on. Ward 14 Councillor Terry Whitehead, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this today. No problem. Thank you. It, look, it's, it's a... I'm going to say it for a third time because I mean this sincerely. We're not refighting this case. It's like the stadium. I know people still like to talk about where the stadium should have been. The stadium is where the stadium is. There is no sense having that fight again. And people voted in the last municipal election, and they voted in decent numbers this time, relatively speaking. And Fred Eisenberger won the mayoral race by a very comfortable margin, and the central focus of his race was the LRT. Vito Scroll was clearly the candidate who was against the LRT, and he lost cons- by a large margin. You can only interpret that as saying people in this city who voted anyway either support or tolerate the LRT. But the question is going to be, in this story that was in the Daily Commercial News, you can go and look it up yourself, uh, talking about the fact that pre-construction has started, are we spending money that we know is going to something that we're going to follow through with. Because my concern, and I think it's even shared by those who are very supportive of the LRT, what happens if the cost of this thing comes back way higher than we expect? Then what? That's the only question. Then what? And the problem is we don't have an answer. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don't know if you saw the story in The Spectator, online of the spec or in the spec or wherever. Uh, Tevia Morrow wrote it today. And it's about a generous local woman. I believe she's local. I, I understand her to be local. We don't know who she is. She's kept her anonymity. And she has offered, and look, this is a very lovely gesture by this woman. Not, not I don't want to diminish in any way. This is a lovely gesture. She has offered to pay a million dollars in honor of her late husband, uh, to help build a new aviary at Gage Park. As I recall, and someone can correct me, but as I recall, this thing once existed at Dundurn Castle and then it's moved around, but they want to build, or it's been talked about building a new aviary, a new home for the birds. And right now there's 41 of them that are still with us. At one time there was, I think, 65, but there's now 41 exotic birds and they're trying to they're talking about whether or not to build this new aviary at Gage Park. And look, uh, again, generous, lovely gesture by this woman. Don't know who she is. If she's listening, thank you. We applaud citizens who want to do good things for their community. The problem is, the challenge is that the cost of the new aviary, according to the city, because they've been studying this for a number of years now, um, the cost of this is estimated to be four and a half million dollars to build this birdhouse. And part of the conditions on this donation 
as it stands right now, is that she wanted to have the shovels in the ground within nine months of the offer in order, in other words, get moving on this thing. My offer doesn't last forever. This million dollars is not here forever. And she wants to have lots and lots and lots of space for the birds to fly. Again, lovely. Who wouldn't want the birds to be happy? But the city says the $4.5 million that it would cost, estimated right now, they're not even sure how much that goes up based on her requirements for the birds to have more space and more room to flutter around and all the rest of the stuff. So what I want to ask you today, and we just heard Councillor Terry Whitehead. He was on, we're talking about LRT, but one of the things he said is the next two years in this city are going to be the most challenging, in his words, he believes the most challenging budgets he's had since he's been on council. We have the LRT that almost assuredly is going to go higher than the billion dollars. That's my bet. I could be wrong, but I would bet that. We have already a budget this year that is looking at 5.2% or something increase. It's a high number. We have lot, We have a, an arena that we have to deal with somehow, some way, whether it's retrofitting or fixing up or building new. We have roads. We have public housing. We have social services. We have all these things. Do you, I'm not, let me back up. I'm not one of those people who is of the opinion that every single dime that a city brings in must only be for the essentials. I'm not that. I believe that you can have things in your city that add to the quality of life. I believe that wholeheartedly. I don't believe every dime should go to just the barest of bare essentials. But I want to ask you tonight, would you be in favor of putting, and we're going to cap it, we're going to say four and a half million. It may be more, but would you be in favor of putting four and a half million dollars of tax money into an aviary at Gage Park, into a home for birds, a giant birdhouse? Now, I'm not mocking it. People can come, they can see the birds. It's lovely. It's a, you know, it's a great thing in the city. It might draw people to the park. There's, I mean, there's reasons to believe this could be a very lovely thing. She is insisting that this would be attached to the greenhouse. So you can now sort of picture the architecture that these birds would be living in. I mean, it'd be a nice house, nicer than, (laughs) it'd be nicer than a lot of what a lot of people are living in. Those lucky finches, I tell you. But would you be in favor of putting four and a half million dollars of tax money into a birdhouse. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Those are the numbers. Give us a call. Let me know. Are you up for spending the money on that? Now, again, I, I that's totally fine if you are. You may be a bird lover. There's lots of people that go out and hunt, not hunt. This is not going to be a place where you've got the birds in a cage where you can snipe them while they're just, you know, sitting ducks. Uh, I don't mean hunting that way, but we have people who go bird watchers and that they go, well, this, this could be an opportunity to see the birds in their up close and personal that you're very fond of. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. At four and a half million dollars, are you okay with that? Is that a, is that a reasonable figure for this kind of thing, 905-645-3221, star 9900. Are you or are you not in favor? Mike joins us first tonight. Mike, how are you tonight? Not bad, Scott. Uh, for the Avery, a uh, nice combination. It would do well with the new Gage Park greenhouse. would go well with the Mum Show. And here's what you do. You sell off um, First Ontario Place to a private developer. 
you get the hotel space we need down there, use some of that money to revamp um, you know, the old uh, Ontario place, see what you can do there, or uh, like that, and use that money to uh, basically pump up the Avery, and it's a nice contribution by that lady. Well done for the city. The city needs something like that. So like I say, sell off first Ontario place to a private developer, use that space for hotel space, modify, improve the facility next door where they have all the concerts, and you have some of the problems solved right there. As opposed to LRT, I just hope it's not done during the Grey Cup. <laughs> Mike, I appreciate the call. Thanks so Thanks much for that one. Uh, there's a vote for a yes on the money towards it, as long as it's money that's coming from somewhere else. Would you support putting $4.5 million? That's a rough number. It could be more, could be less. Would you be in favor of $4.5 million towards a new aviary at Gage Park? A nice home for the birds, for the exotic birds. Yes or no? 905-645-3221, star 9900. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are talking about the proposal, the idea for a new aviary at Gage Park. Story is this, if you're just tuning in. It's been in the works, been in discussions for a number of years now, but a woman has made, a, an anonymous donor has made an offer for a very generous $1 million donation if the city will go ahead quickly and put shovels in the ground to build a brand new aviary at Gage Park attached to the greenhouse. The figure that is being talked about is five and, or sorry, $4.5 million for this birdhouse aviary. Aviary is the fancy way of saying big birdhouse. Question is, would you be in favor of this money, taxpayer money, going to a project like this. Especially in times, last segment, Terry Whitehead, Councillor Terry Whitehead, talking about how this is such a difficult, difficult time with tax money, with budgets, trying to find ways to save money. Are you good with spending $4.5 million on a birdhouse? Jack has been waiting patiently. Jack, how are you tonight? I'm very well, Scott. How are you? I'm great, thanks. What do you think about this? Um, love the fact that uh, this lady's doing this donation. Yep. Really, really nice. Um, but I don't think at this time um, that we can afford it. Um, you've mentioned a number of different things that we've got going on that are going to cost money, and we know we're coming into difficult times. There's a few things that weren't mentioned. We've got a spill that we just spoke about a few weeks ago. You are right. Um, of water. If the Ministry of Environment finalizes their investigation and they charge the city... The legal fees and the costs in court and the fine that's going to go along with that are going to be astronomical. You could be right, Jack, and, and, and I will correct you because I wish it was just water. <laughs> Sad, I'm yep. not laughing at it. It's gross, but no, uh, yes, no, you're absolutely it, right. It yeah, you're right. It has to be cleaned up still. You're absolutely right, Jack. Thank you so much for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, let, me go nice. to, uh, let me go to Cindy, who my note here says, Cindy is owner of a parrot. Does that give me, Cindy, a hint of where you're going to go with this? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I totally agree that they should be putting that $4.5 million into it, Avery. Um, people don't realize that there is a lot of rehomed birds what need homes. And these Averys hold these birds, not just birds, they're parrots, and they're the most intelligent of all animals. And they need this space. They really absolutely need this space. Cindy, I thank you so much for the call. I appreciate it. Okay. Uh, let me go here to Tony. Tony, how are you tonight? Scott, how are you, sir? I'm good, thank you. So are you thumbs up or thumbs down on $4.5 million of tax dollars going to an aviary? Well, I'm not thumbs down, but, you know, like the gentleman uh, previously, uh, we have priorities. You know, we're going to, 
put in four million dollars into and don't get me wrong i'm a i'm a you know uh part-time photographer and i love animals and i love birds and nothing against birds but before we before we think about housing birds what about the homeless people what about the rent increases that are over 21 percent hikes why don't we put some of that money into maybe building some townhouses and get some people off sleeping under bridges fred let me jump in because you know what you raise i think the valid point in this thing and that is city council has in front of it is going to have a number of proposals coming in in the next few weeks for social housing programs and i look i'm i'm with you and i'm with some of the others that it would be lovely to do this but how does city council put four and a half million dollars into a home for birds unless it's going to at least match that or better for people. And if it can't put four and a half or five million or whatever into people's homes, there is no possible yeah. way you could do this for a bird. I agree. And I'm, I mean, I know there's species that are endangered and stuff like that, but there's other ways. There's other ways that we can, we can protect them, right? I mean, birds are meant to fly. Let them fly. You know, people, <laughs> people need homes. I'm sorry. I'm just I no, get passionate about this. Tony, thank you for the call. I, I, I think you're bang thank on. You. Thanks for the call. Uh, let me go to John here. John, how are you tonight? Good. How are you? I'm great. Where do you stand on this one? Uh, I mean, I think we have that diversity in what we support as far as, you know, whether it be hockey arenas and athletics and parks and such. However, I'm really concerned what the operating costs would be yearly and who's going to pick that up for birds. Uh, okay, so the, the uh, it's, uh, let me see here. There, there are numbers in the story. I'm just trying to pull them up. That's in the spec by Tevia Morrow. And uh, it says that uh, the, the current place that needs to be updated would need $600,000 to keep it up to code in the long run. Doesn't say how much it is for operating costs, but of course, yeah, there's going to be vet bills and food and heat and all those other things. So you're right. It's not, it's not without any kind of costs after you've put the capital dollars in. And then to, to weigh that against how many people would actually attend, I don't know whether it'd be a fruitful investment. I appreciate the call, John. Thank you for that. Have a great night. You guys do great work. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Let me go. I've got time for another one, maybe two here. Uh, Let me get to Rick. Rick, how are you tonight? Hey, Scott. The way I look at it is this way. Although the gift is generous and very kind of that person to offer it, why should the city be on the hook for the other four-fifths of the price? We have other priorities that we really should be looking at more importantly than, uh, you know, a home for, for exotic birds. And, and, you know, Rick, here's the thing. And again, I, I love the idea. I love the generosity of the woman. And this thing, for the record, has been sort of on the books in the background for a number of years. They've been waiting to do something. I just find it difficult. There's going to be so many requests for social housing that the city, if they're going to do this, they'd better be giving a whole lot of money to social housing because if you give $4.5 million to birds and not to people, man, oh, man, you're going to have people up in arms, rightly so. Exactly. Rick, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I wish I could get to everybody who was still on the line. Can't, unfortunately, out of time. Appreciate you calling. Call back again. We'd love to have you back. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me move on to our buddy Rick Zamperin. Of 900 CHML fame, who, by the way, his office door was open during between the news in the news break there, and I poked my head in. I got to say, Rick has this. He has a bookshelf, and there's very few books on the shelf. You have one of the great collections of Hamilton's sporting knickknackery. That's a good way to put it. 
of uh, what, what's the word they always use? Not knickknacks. They people who talk about the stuff that uh, the little knickknacks. There's there's a word for it that I'm drawing a blank on that they put on their. Uh, pardon me. That thank you. Yes, exactly. That's sporting chotskis. That's exactly what your bookshelf is. Yes, that's a great description. Uh, I particularly my favorite thing on there, and I didn't look long because I didn't want to be caught in your office with people thinking I was stealing state secrets or something. Um, but the the nineteen sorry the two thousand and five two thousand and four uh, Greg Marshall coach of the Tie Cats circa head stick holder mask things. Excellent. Excellent work to keep all that. It's like a museum. And it was a smiley face one, too, so I thought I'd keep it because... That's historic. We rarely saw that. (laughs) That is historic to have the smiley Greg Marshall face. Uh, Yeah, anyway, we we should run tours through there. People can come in and do, like, Rick Zamperin's Hall of Knickknackery. I should, for the record, clarify, there are some books on that bookshelf. There are a few. There's also trophies, and there's some footballs and scarves, and uh, a license plate saying number one dad, yep. which I, I don't know if there was an actual vote for that or not, but, you know, we'll, we'll give it to you. That was my daughter's doing, and I did not reject it. As you should not. All right, let's move along to this thing. Uh, let me jump in here, because this is something that's just come up in the last little while that's come online. Uh, you're a CFL guy. You've covered the league forever. There has traditionally been a window within the, I think it's usually December, we're in the time right now, when players who are under contract to CFL teams get an opportunity, if they're invited, to try out for an NFL team. And that's been one of the things that's always lured American players to come to Canada because there's the opportunity. If you play really well here, you can maybe make your way back down to the NFL and make the big, big bucks. Well, apparently, the NFL has sent out a memo telling its teams, you can't do that this year. We are not allowing, we're barring you from doing tryouts with CFL players. How's that going to play with the CFL guys? Well, not very well, and you're exactly right. You know, in the past, CFL veterans or or guys in the... uh, early stages of their career if they have that nfl window still open and some you know a lot of them do uh they would work out for teams whether it's the giants or the jets or the bills or you name it they would go down and they would uh you know have a kind of a free agent camp or workout session with their scouts their player personnel people the head coach uh and uh and prove to them that they could play at the nfl level but uh, you're exactly right the national football league has said uh, we will not be accepting any CFL players um, during uh, December tryouts. And uh, there's a number of guys, you know, Calgary's Trey Roberson, uh, Nate Hawley, also on the Stan Peters, a number of guys throughout the league who had uh, thought they had booked tryouts or thought they were going to get a look uh, from some NFL teams have been rejected because of the edict from the National Football League. So if you're a Canadian Football League player right now, your options are extremely limited. Right now, it's just the CFL. I mean, the XFL hasn't started, uh, and uh, you know, primarily all their players are set after they had a draft you know, a few weeks ago, and now the NFL is really not an option. So now Randy Ambrosi's CFL 2.0 is really going to have to be put to the test because are there teams in Mexico and Sweden and Italy and Germany willing to take these CFL players? And more importantly, are CFL players willing to go there? The answer to both of those questions is going to be no. Well, I, look, I mean, if you have nowhere else to go, and that has been the case oftentimes for guys who come here, they, they didn't get an NFL job, they graduated college, and so they had nowhere else to go. The CFL was a perfect landing spot. 
But I would say, Rick, what, 99.9% of American guys who come here, the dream is to go back to the NFL at some point, right? Whether it's true or not, that's the dream. No, that's 100% right, because uh, many of them were there at one point. They were drafted by NFL teams, or they were in NFL uh, training camps as free agents, kind of walk-ons. Um, so, yeah, the, the, they know what the life is of an NFL player, and they want to get back there as quickly as possible because, you know, they live there, uh, they, they want to get paid in American dollars, they're taxed in American dollars when they're playing down there. So, yeah, the dream is definitely to get back to the NFL. And I would, I would suspect that a lot of Canadian players playing football want to go to the NFL. Well, as well. sure. Is, I mean, it's not, there's no secret. The NFL is the monolith of football. The dollars, uh, you know, uh, are just dwarf anything that the CFL can offer. You know, players in the NFL make more money than almost the entire CFL salary cap. So that, in a nutshell, is how powerful the NFL is. Yeah, I mean, you you go down there for one year as a backup player on a even a remotely decent contract, and you will make vastly more in one season than in your career in the CFL. I mean, unless you're a quarterback here, in which case maybe you make some okay money. But uh, do we know why this is? Why is the NFL putting this rule in? Well, I think it's because they know the XFL is now on board. They know that the, you know the CFL has, for lack of a better term, poached uh, prospective NFL players over the years. But the fact of the matter is, I think this is just the NFL kind of flexing their muscle to say, hey, we're still the boss. We're going to determine who and who doesn't play in the league. And I think until the CFL and the NFL, if it happens, comes to an agreement on some kind of player uh, transaction, which they used to have not too long ago, uh, I think this is going to be the case. But does this then, and we don't even know if the XFL, I mean, we saw what happened with the last league. It died, it was it was almost stillborn, but I mean, it got a few games off before it died. But we don't know if the XFL is going to live, but does this give the XFL a huge advantage when recruiting non-obvious NFL players then? Assuming the XFL lives, now you have the opportunity, if you play in the XFL, you get to stay in the States, you get to play American rules, and you can maybe get a tryout with the NFL. That seems to be a pretty pretty huge step up for some of those American players. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, if you're an American player and you're now signed or drafted by an XFL team, you have a leg up on everyone who's in the Canadian Football League because once the XFL season is done, and let's not forget it begins the week after the Super Bowl and then... I think it's like a 10-game schedule. So pretty much in the spring, those XFL players are going to have an option to either go to an NFL training camp, which is probably you know number one on their wish list, uh, or B, stay with their XFL team, and probably C, is look towards the CFL. And there's one other kind of you know uh, balloon in the air, and you know the, the impact on the CFL or even the XFL or the NFL is really minimal, but the Arena League. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, folded after I think it was 23 seasons. So there's a bunch of yes, that, yes. You know, we're barnstorming in arenas, playing some football. Where Kurt Warner, Hall of Famer, uh, came from. Uh, you know, there's some of those guys out there too to say, hey, you know, maybe the CFL is an option, maybe the XFL is an option. You know, the NFL is truly a long shot. All right, uh, let me jump to something else here because off the top, I was saying that we were in the midst now, or the starting point, I guess. We've we've had the announcement of the training camp roster for Team Canada for the World Junior Tournament. And every year when this comes around, I I have a, I mean, I love the tournament. It's a great event, but I always have this, there's a little niggling thing in me that goes, you know, these are still kids, whether we, whether they're 17, 18, 19 years old. And 
I'm not worried about the pressure that we put on them at the tournament because these are guys that are going to go to the NF, uh, the NHL. They're guys who are going to, you know, they've had pressure before. The part that always kind of gets me about this is the putting out the camp list and having tryouts where these guys, some of them are going to be embarrassed by being cut. Should we be... Should we be thinking that or is it, you know what? No, no. These are, these are guys who know what it's all about and they want to be there. And if they get cut, they get cut and they can deal with it. Yeah, I think it's more towards the latter. I mean, I think all of the guys that have been named to this camp, and I think it was 31 players, uh, you know, that's, that's something in and of itself. You know, just to be named to the selection camp, you are amongst the 31 best players in Canada. But I get what you're saying. A lot of the stuff that goes along with it, yeah, they're going to have to get used to if they eventually get to the National Hockey League, and many of them will. Um, But it's all that kind of off-ice pressure, the analysis, the over-analysis, you know, the the pre-tournament exhibition games. There's so much hype and such a huge spotlight on, you know, players that are 18, 19 years of age for the most part, um, and, you know, let, let's not forget, like, the National Hockey League, you know, they're, they're men. Uh, and if they were to play against a world junior team, it would be like, you know, 20 to 3. Um, but these guys, have, I mean, it's just the process of their growing up in the game, really. I mean, this is just another step. So it's a great honor to be named to selection camp. Yeah, it stinks when those players are cut and, you know, the interviews of them, you know, uh, choking back peers uh, and, you know, the, uh, promising to, to do better for the rest of their season and hopefully make the team next time. It is crushing to see for the most part, and it would probably be, uh, you know, really terrible as a parent to see your, your child go through that. But it is the process. If you want to be a, a national hockey league player, a, a player that is drafted in the NHL as high as you can go, um, you, you want to be in this camp. And obviously you don't want to be cut, you definitely want to participate. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the it's the risk-reward thing because these guys, I would say 95% of these guys have never been cut ever before, ever, from anything. Right, yeah. And, you know, I, look, I don't want to be all soft and squishy and whatever. I mean, these are not poor guys. They're all going to get drafted into the NHL. They're all going to get some signing bonus. They're all going to do okay. They're going to play pro somewhere. Um I don't know. It, it, the cutting part, the, the the having the list, and then the big part later on when TSN always does the thing about you know going around and watching the guys walk out of camp with all their sticks and the cameras there. I, I I'm not gonna lie. I feel bad for some of these kids because they're kids. They're not 30 year olds who now have 20 million dollars in the bank. Yeah, and there's nothing else like it. Like think of the other sport. The closest I can think, and it's really not even close would be, you know, NCAA basketball. And, and you know, you have this a team that is, uh, you know, coming out of nowhere and beats a, uh, you know, one of the heavy hitters of, uh, you know, NCAA uh, basketball. And there's, cheer, you know, tears shed. And, you know, this is, you know, uh, Player X's last tournament ever and, and whatnot. But the scrutiny that these hockey players have to deal with, and, you know, Canada probably more so than any other nation, because, you know, we're expected to win gold each and every year. Uh, is is unbelievable. I mean, it doesn't happen in soccer, at least on a world stage at that age group. Uh, not in not in Canada, other places, not, but no, not in Canada. Not in Canada. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, football, uh, baseball. You know, nothing compares to it uh, in terms of at this stage at their age group of the intense scrutiny that they have to endure over the next month, basically. I, I will say this: that uh, to to your point, and I think it's a, a you know it sort of proves something maybe. 
I think most people remember the name Mark Visentin, local kid who was the goalie mm-hmm. for Canada in Buffalo the year about six, seven, eight, nine years ago now when Canada had the lead going into the third period and the whole team collapsed. It wasn't his fault, and yet he was the goalie that was behind that, and so he wore that. He's all that's he's. I've talked to him about it. He's always worn that game, even though he was left out to dry for most of the goals in the third period. Mark Visentin's name now is synonymous in a lot of people's minds with that. I bet you that if you asked 90% of Hamiltonians, name the Ticat player who took the hitting from behind, the blocking from behind penalty in the Grey Cup that Brandon Banks ran that kickback and didn't score as a result and they lost. I bet most Hamiltonians could not name the guy that took that penalty. Says something, I think, about the meaning and and what it does to people. Yeah, I would say... Most Ticats fans would remember, but not most Hamiltonians. But yes, on, on a grander stage, yeah, the name Mark Visentin, when you when you utter it, it's I mean, those are the images you get is that despair and that, you know, what happened kind of feeling. Uh, and he'll and as you said, he'll he'll be wearing that for an ever and ever on it. Yeah, and unfor- unfairly and unfortunately, quite yeah. honestly. And uh, even when he I mean he retired last year and even up until the day he retired from hockey. Uh, due to injuries, by the way, not due to that. Um, he was still getting questions about that, and people still made comments. And you know, it's because of the scope and the the magnitude of the tournament. And you know, it's it's wonderful. And I I don't, as I say, I don't feel sorry, but it's wonderful for an eighteen or nineteen year old when you get the opportunity to play and you win. I just talked to Chris Gratton yesterday at the Hamilton Breakfast of Champions. He won it back in whatever year it was. But when you lose, and when you're uh, fairly or unfairly tagged as the reason for the loss, man, oh man, that is a that is a tough tournament to live down. Yeah, I mean, especially when, you know, Canada, as I mentioned, is expected to win each and every year, you know, unfairly or not. And that, that's almost an unheard of, you know, expectation for any nation in any sport. You know, the, the Brazils of the world would have that expectation at the World Cup. Uh, you know, Italy would be there, you know, Argentina, all these, you know, heavy hitting kind of soccer teams. Uh, you look in the National Football League, and at least for the you know, last 20 years, it's been the Patriots, but they don't win every year. But it seems like World Junior time, Canada is supposed to win gold, and when they don't, uh, you know, there's questions to be answered. And uh, and if you're the player who's responsible, or at least in the game, uh, in a gold medal game, and responsible for not uh, you know pulling your weight or you know bad bounce here and bad luck there, uh, that sticks with you forever. Uh, thankfully, if nothing else, we're not like Colombia with soccer. Oh, geez. <laughs> with, with, with Mr. Escobar, who was assassinated when he got home after scoring an own goal. And I mean, you know, you don't mean to be funny. I mean, it's, it's, and it's not funny, but I mean, you look at it and you go, okay, we're, we're crazy about our sports, especially when it's hockey, especially when it's that. At, l- at least we're not there. Yeah, when things go awry in hockey, we have, you know, summits. We talk about things. We gripe over what happened. We, you know, recommend changes and, and, and whatnot. But we don't, yeah, we don't kill... Not yet. Who make mistakes? Not, Not yet. yet. Hope Hopefully never. never Hopefully never. Rick Zamperin, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. You got it anytime. Uh, yeah, and you can uh, that that story. I mean, about the the CFL. I always come back to uh, what was his name now? The guy who was um, uh, Miami Dolphin and Cameron Wake, BC Lion, and he got his chance and had a great NFL career because he got an opportunity to try out for an NFL team. It's guys like that. There's not a ton of them. There's not a ton of them, but they do come along every now and then. You got Doug Flutie, uh, Jeff Garcia. I mean, not a ton of them, but man, oh man, you hate to see that opportunity get taken away for those guys. You really do. 
The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.